to the E5 podcast. Uh, we are very excited to be joining you again. Uh, had an opportunity to go to camp this last week and uh, get re-energized. Uh, if you could peek behind the curtain and see what's going on right now, you'd see Pastor Robbie doing his happy dance. I'm joined by uh, Pastor Robbie Willis, our discipleship pastor. Hey, y'all. Good to be dancing with you today. <laughs> and our pastor, Pastor David Willis. Glad to be back. Looking forward to... Uh Another week of the E5 podcast. All right. Well, we're excited. Uh, once again, we're going to be looking at uh, today the last two of the seven dimensions, if I'm correct on where we are, uh, as we take a look once again at uh, Link Church in 4D, uh, diving deep into our discipleship process. And I'm just going to tell you, gentlemen, I mean, you guys are the ones who, who wrote this material um, I'm, I've just enjoyed it greatly. I've had an opportunity to, uh, you know, to read over the book, but but being able to discuss it and talk about it with you guys has been uh, absolutely phenomenal. And so I want to encourage anybody who's listening, if you found us sometime around episode 20, uh, go back and and check out the other episodes of, of uh, as we've talked about uh, Link Church in 4D and our, our 4D process. Um Pastor Robbie, I'll pass it over to you, kind of share a little bit of your thoughts before we dive into uh, the material today. Sure. So oftentimes when we think about discipleship, we actually miss these last two elements. And I guess maybe we hope that it'll just uh, happen organically or automatically. And and I suppose it should, but the reality is that Jesus himself built the concepts of service and generosity into the fabric of how he trained his disciples and that means we've got to continue to prioritize them today so you know there's this there's this story in the bible that uh, probably a lot of people are familiar with where jesus and the disciples gather for uh, a meal and in that day people wore sandals they walked on dirt roads it was customary that if you were hosting a meal um, typically either you yourself or a servant or someone would uh, supply a bucket of water and uh, you would wash the, the guests, the dinner guests' feet before they ate together because uh, they reclined on couches to eat. Somebody's feet is going to be close to somebody's face. And so it made everybody's dinner experience a lot more enjoyable if people had washed feet. But on this particular occasion, Jesus and the disciples are all together and each of them are very certain it is not their job. And so Jesus gets up and starts washing feet. And among the 12 disciples, there's one thing they all agreed on, and that is that it was not Jesus' job to wash their feet. Uh, Peter may have believed John should be his servant, and John may have believed James should be his, but all of them knew it wasn't Jesus. Jesus gets up and takes the, the position of, of service. And when it's all said and done, everyone's kind of shamed by this action in some ways. Jesus says, you call me your Lord and master, and that's that's true, that's accurate. If I've washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And so what he does, he turns their whole understanding of leadership on its head, basically letting them know that in the kingdom of God, even the greatest leaders are servant leaders, and that our role is to serve one another. So this, this sense of service is, it's it's a very real aspect of discipleship. We'll get to generosity in a little bit also. So as we're fully formed followers of Christ, it doesn't matter how gifted we are. If we haven't learned to serve, we're not really a Christ follower yet. You know, the story in the scripture with the, uh, with the supper, I went blank for just a second, but where Jesus tells them, he says, go on the highways and the byways, bring them in. Uh, and then he gives us the description of, you know, he that wants to be at the head of the table will be at the last, and he that wants to be, you know, um, what he's telling us is nobody's above serving. Nobody right. is above doing those things. And if if Jesus himself could take the towel off and wash the feet of his disciples and say, hey, this that I've done, you do also to one yeah. another, 
he's literally telling us uh, to be like me. You're going to have to serve. You're going to be willing to lower yourself some. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, and some me and me and Mike were having a side conversation last night as service was wrapping up. And we're getting ready to, to go. Uh, you know, our church has been experiencing phenomenal growth the last many months. This year, we've seen around 130 people come to Christ. A little over that, I think. And with that, our people have been so gracious to step up and take on new roles and, and things like that. But as the church has expanded um, continually, we've we've needed more and more people to step up and serve in various areas. And me and Mike were talking on the side as we are getting ready to leave and said, you know, the reality is that we've got to move some more people into our serve team here locally or we're fixing to hit a place where our growth stops naturally. And there could be a danger that people say, well, that was awesome. Uh, I wonder why God stopped growing our church. But it's not about that. God hasn't even began to slow down with what Amen. he's doing. But Jim Ryan says it like this. He says, you've got to, you've got to move at the, at, at you've got to move at the rate of growth. So however God, however fast God is building his church, we've got to be able to keep up. And one aspect of that is this service aspect. We've got to have people that are willing to step up and say, I'm willing to fill these general basic roles that need done so that people continue to be saved, right. families continue to be healed, our community continues to be transformed. I had a uh, loved one that I was having a conversation with recently over this very topic. Um, we were discussing how fast our church was growing and that there were and that there have been rumors and discussion that if we grow to a, a certain point, uh, we may consider a, a third service, you know, right. on, on Sundays. And uh, this loved one, once upon a time, was very active in church. She's not today. Um, she spent many years serving in the church. And she ran into what a lot of churches run into that is not currently a problem at Link Church, but it's what you're talking about, that if we don't, continue to grow and add to our serve team, we run into this problem. And it's burnout, where you have so many people doing uh, so many things that they don't ever feel like they get the opportunity to be fed. They don't ever right. feel like they get the opportunity uh, to to get what they need. And uh, as this loved one expressed, you know, well, that's what leads to people getting burnt out. Uh, all your workers get burnt out is what she said. And I just looked over at Lydia and I thought, praise God that we're at a place that in our, in our church body and, and where there's so many people who understand the purpose of this, right. the importance of service, and that it's not just, it's not just, well, it's nice to serve at the church. No, it's a part of who you are sure. as a believer. Um, Lydia and I recently started watching The Chosen. I know we're about three seasons late to the party here for most people, but um, I'm really enjoying getting to see this, um, this, this, artistic uh, expression of, of a playful version of Jesus, a friendly version of Jesus. And, and uh, not that Jesus wasn't friendly from scripture. I'm just, the fact that these actors are, are doing such a wonderful job with it. And I really, my big takeaway was, was just seeing how authentic he seemed to make everything that he was teaching just come naturally, everything right. that he was talking. And uh, with the episode we watched last night, specifically Simon, uh, Simon Peter, his character, uh, was explaining how uh, he and Andrew were worried that they were going to mess everything up. And uh, he said, I, can, I think of it like when Father taught us how to fish. He said, Dad didn't teach us anything how to fish. He said, nope, we sat and watched him. Right. We sat and watched him fish until it was our turn to fish. And then we, we knew what to do because we had watched him do it. And I feel like this is another one of those moments with Jesus. They're sitting there arguing, hey, who does this? Who does this? Not because they necessarily don't want to do it. Maybe there's some of that. But because they're not sure whose responsibility it is and, and we want to get this right. We don't want to make mistakes. And meanwhile, Jesus just gets up and goes, here, this you're arguing over who has to. I'm showing you it's about I get to. I get the honor of washing your feet. And that's something that we forget in most of our churches is that service is not about I have to, it's about I get to. Yeah. It's about I have the the you know honor of serving you, you know. And uh I'm not one to line up for a foot washing and say, Yeah, let's do it. But but you know what? Hey, 
it's a beautiful thing to be able to serve our brothers and sisters in, in any capacity. Sure. And, and I think we often forget that as believers. I think that one element that we have that helps us a lot understanding the burnout thing and stuff like that is that we, we try to push people to attend one, serve one. You know, right. that we have multiple services. Uh, attend one where you get fed, uh, be it the nine oh the nine thirty or the eleven oh five, but then in the other one serve somewhere. So, yeah. and there's a lot of positions where you can attend one, uh, and then serve as a parking lot person or a door greeter. And if you needed to go, you could still go because sure. that position's finished once the service starts during those times. And I think that what. Rob is saying there, we have to latch on to the reality of this. Um, if you feel like you have to do your position, right, then you need to check your heart a little bit because we get an opportunity. God gifted me, and I'm not saying that in a boastful sure. way, but God has gifted me to be a pastor, preacher, leader that moves people into relationships with God. Amen. The day that someone calls and I say, well, you know, I just don't, I just don't think I want to do that no more. There's something inside of me that's not right, Pastor, I think at that point. I I know we had a conversation uh, recently about some stuff along this lines. Uh, I never hesitate to call and say, hey, uh, Pastor Robbie, I want you to teach this subject. Hey, I want... And it, there may be 40 things I'm telling you I want you to do at some point along the lines of the discipleship part of our church. And never one time have you said to me, well, David, I just don't know that I, I don't know that I, well, no, that's what you've spent your whole life trying right. to do, being gifted to do. If yeah. I am gifted to do something, then I need to be willing to put in the effort and responsibility to that position and not be thinking about, hey, I'm going to get burned out. I need to be thinking about, hey, you know what? This is what God's called me to do. And if I'm walking in God's calling, then I'm doing exactly what he wants me to, and he's going to take care of the rest of it. Is that not right? Very true. And in a second, I want to look at a scripture in Matthew 20, but as we get ready to go there, just kind of to have this in mind as the backdrop for the scripture, not only is that part true, but then I think about, you know, the other night, I guess Tuesday night, um, you'd reached out and said that we had some stuff that needed moved and area needed cleaned out, things like that. As we had probably maybe a dozen of us or so that gathered up here at the church, and I would say we did easily six or seven hours of work in about an hour and a half, maybe. And went uh, home. And went home. That's mm-hmm. right. Now there's some there's some people that uh, thank God had had showed up early and gathered and had some things prepped and ready to go already, which was really really awesome of them. But because there was a team of people that gathered to do those basic practical things, we were all able to then go on about our lives and our business more more readily. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we got to remember as we work together. Uh, as a team, not only, uh, I mean, not only a leadership team like what's sitting here in the booth right now, but a, a team as a church is is that as we prioritize these areas of service together, then it releases everyone to focus more readily on the things we're passionate about. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you, let him serve you. And whoever would be first among you, let him be your slave. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Matthew 25 and uh, 31 to 40. And this is a bit of a long block, but I want to read it and then let's, let's continue this conversation some. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did you hunger and we, when did we see you hungry and feed you? thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to Mm -hmm. me. Now it's interesting to me that Jesus says, then the righteous will answer. Why do the righteous answer? It's because they're the ones that actually did these things, right? So the unrighteous can't answer because they never uh, fed and clothed people and carried out these these, these areas of service. Jesus describes those who serve as sheep and those who don't as goats. I had this thought, and forgive my foolishness for a minute. (laughs) I have six kids, and sometimes they play these games that make no sense to me. And back while they came up with this one quite a while ago now, it's called Goat Simulator. Now, I never knew that you would play something so ludicrous as Goat Simulator, but I wonder if I could get a sound off of the Goat Simulator game, and every time somebody just says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make it to work day, or I can't be there to serve, maybe I can just play the sound of a goat. You know what I'm (laughs) moving on now. (laughs) That's funny. You know, reading that scripture and you talking about it, and and you guys help me build here, but these are just a couple. Yeah, of goat simulator. Yeah, what more I mean, do you what want? What more do I need? Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Used to years ago when we team preach all the time, I I would look at you and I would say, now I know there's no spot I can leave you in that you can't get out of, <laughs> but there's lots of spots I can leave you in. That, again, I'm not sure you? you haven't got me in a spot now that I'm trying to get out. <laughs> this is for all the years that I did that to you, is what it amounts to. <laughs> We would team preach, and I would just turn to Robbie and just throw it back at wherever I was, and he could run with it. If he did that to me, it could be a little bit of an issue. But uh, when you think about serving these, and I'm just thinking of some characteristics myself, but I think one is nobody wants a servant on their team that is hateful, disgruntled, and don't want to be there. Amen. (laughs) You know, you want a joyful servant, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, We want someone... And and don't take that offensively, but if you don't want to serve with the right kind of heart, then you're just doing something you don't want to do at that point. Yeah. Uh, you have to have the right kind of heart to be a servant, and you have to be joyful about it. Nobody wants a door greeter that looks like they uh, they hate life. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not being ugly when I say that. You know, but truly, if Jesus Christ is the best thing that's ever happened to us. There should be some joy in serving right. Jesus and, and being a servant of Jesus. Uh, second thing, I, a characteristic for me that is important um, is it's called serving for a reason, but it's also another four-letter word that we don't like to acknowledge nowadays, and it's called work. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, W-O-R-K. Uh, servanthood is work, and it's work from the head down. And My dad taught me this years ago. He, he said, son, to be a leader, you can't expect people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. So if we're going to do things, it, it's rare that I'm not going to try to at least do my part of it. And, and that's something that we have to understand is that if you're going to be a servant and you're going to serve in a leadership role, you're going to have to show people by example. You, you can't just expect them to know, hey, jump in. And if they don't see me or you or us doing it, then then why do they expect that they need to do it, I think. Right. Uh, and, and then a last one, and you guys add anything you got here, but to me would be this. Um, I want servants that don't care if they're holding the door or if they're in the middle of the stage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. If they're cleaning the bathroom or if they're if they're preaching the sermon, you know. Right. Uh, I have said for a long time, and anybody that knows me truly knows, that it would not bother me one bit if I could do what I do in life, uh, serve God and stay at my farm and never see nobody. I would be just fine with that. That's not what God called me to do. And right. so... Uh, scripture even said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the righteous than dwell in the tent of the wicked. That's right. So, That's right. I, I mean, give me somebody that does not care if anybody knows they're doing it or not. Yeah. And I'll give you somebody that we can make a servant out of. Amen. And so those are three characteristics to me. When we start talking about service, you know, the fact that there, there needs to be a joyful heart about it. You've got to be willing to work. And you really got to be somebody that truly, if you want to go far as a servant, 
you've got to be somebody that you don't care if you get. It's not a competition, if yeah. I could say it like that. I mean, uh, I, I've said for years, people people have even made the statement to me, to, well, doesn't it bother you to have certain someone come preach for you? And I'm like, why would it bother me? It, it, they can't do what I'm called to do in this right. hour. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, it's not a competition. So, I mean, I think that's something we have to understand. Be joyful about it. Be willing to work and have a mentality of, you know what, it doesn't matter to me if I'm the one that is seen or not seen as long as we're getting done what we need to get done. Sure. Right. You guys got any characteristics that serving stands out to you guys? You know, for me, I mean, just building off of what you said, that first one that you talked about, I had two different pastors who uh, talked about it in, in great ways, in my opinion. Uh, the first one, I was I was a young teenager, and he talked about how too many believers walk around acting like they've been baptized in pickle juice, you know, uh, should be joyful, should be happy, but they're walking around with a sour look on their face at all times. And then the next one, he called it, uh, he called it Eeyore Christians. Uh, now, we're all parents here, and so uh, at some point, I'm sure all of our children discovered Winnie the Pooh and his, uh, his friends and his characters. There's a donkey in, in Winnie the Pooh known as Eeyore. And, you know, my favorite thing about Eeyore is that he walks around, and the things he says sometimes seem very happy, but everything he says sounds like this. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah. Thanks for noticing me. You know, and so I've never understood that, you know. Uh, I've never understood why, why we in the house of God want to talk about how great our God is, but we want to do it like we're Eeyore from right. Winnie the Pooh, you know. Uh, I'm not saying we all got to bounce around off the walls like Tigger, but, but you know, uh, act like God did something for you. So to build on what you said, Pastor, that's that's what comes to my mind. You know, when it comes to having a, a servant's heart, to me, it's not the ability to not say no. It's the ability to know what you're saying yes to um, is, is somebody with a servant's heart. Mm -hmm. Because every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So instead of looking at it like, well, I'm saying no to that, well, what are you saying yes to? You know, if you're saying, yes, I'll give up my time to go and serve on the 99 serve team, you may be saying no to an extra hour of sleep on Sunday morning. But what are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to creating an environment that somebody can come into the house of God and feel as though, uh, they are able to come into worship and not be distracted by uh, little things. You know, um, Pastor Robbie told a story of, of uh, one of his mentors, uh, Pastor Bashirs, and I know David got an opportunity to know Walter Bashirs as well. I've never had the privilege of meeting him, but this is one of my favorite stories about him is that uh, he told me that, uh, Robbie told me that they had a, a a bit of difficulty getting nursery workers for a period of time. And uh, Pastor Bashir's got up on stage and made the announcement. He said uh, he couldn't understand why, why people wouldn't want to love on babies for Jesus. He said, one of these Sunday mornings, if you get up and you come into the house of God and there's nobody on stage to preach the sermon, no, it's because I'm in the back loving on babies for Jesus, you know? And and I thought that was, that was awesome, uh, building off of what, what Larry Joe told you, Dave, is it, you know, don't ask anybody to do something you're not willing to do yourself. You know, he, he's willing to step down off the, off the platform to go sit in the nursery because, you know, somebody's got to be in there and love, love on those babies for Jesus, you know? And, uh, I just, to me, it's a, it's a, we, we sometimes get our, get our perspective wrong. And when you're able to keep your eyes on what am I saying yes to, and realize that it's not about us, then, you know, it's it, it becomes easy to serve, in my opinion. Right. You know, one, when you look at the gifts of the Spirit, there's one of them that's always intrigued me, and that is the working of miracles. Mm -hmm. That gift tends to include an element of action on somebody's part. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, 
First, what's he say? He tells the disciples, roll the stone away. Lazarus doesn't come back from the dead if somebody's not willing to move a rock. When Jesus multiplies the bread and feeds 5,000 people, he tells the disciples to tell them all to sit down in companies and start serving them. Right. Um, I have staffed uh, some dinners of, let's say, three to 500 people over the years. And I'm going to tell you this. By the end of the night, your legs hurt, your back hurts, everything you've got hurts. And uh, no matter how great it went, your body is very aware that you spent the last many hours on your feet, continually going back and forth, making sure people had food and all that stuff. Serving 5,000 people, um, especially when you begin not believing that there's anything really on the menu, (laughs) um, uh, this is a significant miracle. That's a lot of work. And really, you journey through the Gospels and look at all the miracles that God did that actually required very significant acts of service on the part of the disciples, and it's massive. And so one of the things we've got to realize is that even in order to see the supernatural happen, we sometimes have to be willing to take some very natural steps by faith, right? Miracles don't just fall out of the sky. They often come as God's people step out in faith. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. As we get ready to transition into our last dimension, and that's generosity, we need to really take some time to evaluate the lessons Jesus taught. Jesus taught things about service right alongside the things he taught about humility. For instance, he said if you walk into a room and all the seats are empty, and there's one seat of honor that's there, Jesus said to his disciples, do not go put yourself in the seat of honor. Don't don't go place yourself yourself there because then you're going to be embarrassed if somebody greater than you walks in and the, the person in charge says, hey, come sit down here. Instead, automatically place yourself in the humble position. Place yourself in the seat uh, that that nobody's going to say, wow, that's cool that they're sitting there. And then if the person in charge wants to, they'll elevate you and, and place you uh, and place you here. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, what Jesus is saying is this, it's better to be honored than it is to be humbled. So if we humble ourselves, I give opportunity for somebody else to honor me. But if I honor myself, the only opportunity I've provided is for somebody else to humble me, right? We often want to elevate ourselves to what we think we deserve and want instead of starting where God wants us to and allowing him to elevate us the way he wants to. Correct. You know, I was thinking as as you were talking that uh, uh, another characteristic going along with what you're saying is sacrifice. We have to sacrifice. Uh, We have to be willing to sacrifice of our time, our efforts, and you know what? We even have to be willing to sacrifice of who we are at times. I mean, in the manner of, hey, maybe you are sitting there thinking, man, I could do that better than that person. But if they're who God's called to do it for this season, then right. <laughs> that's sacrifice, you know? It is. And part of that role then is for me to, is for me to cheer them on and help them do it, do, do the best that they can and, and put all attention toward God. And, you know, that, that part of that sacrifice is, you're exactly right, it's realizing it's not my moment. That's right. You That's know? right. Right. Younger Robbie Willis thought it was always my moment. Always. I don't mind yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that you say that is because recently, you know, I had to have that moment. And I, you guys are two of my best friends, so I've expressed to you guys that every once in a while I have I have this moment where I go, well, David is a phenomenal pastor and leader and preacher and. And, you know, Robbie's a phenomenal teacher and, and leader and, and preacher as well. And, and it's like, you know, everything that I, I have always done and do in my ministry, uh, somebody else can do and probably do better than me here. And so there have been moments where I've had to be like, okay, where exactly do I fit in here? Where is my role here? And it's and it's coming to those realizations that, that what you're talking about, Robbie, is that now that I'm older and wiser, I'm starting to realize, hey, you know, you're you're playing a very good supporting role here, and you're and you're helping to uh, cheer on those guys who who can do it and have the opportunity to do it, and and uh, you know getting the opportunity to look and say, hey, it's you don't have to be the star of the play every every time, and and so I'm 
I'm excited for this, you know, because what what started out as uh, coming into this church at a place where Lydia and I have always had to do everything in our in our ministry uh, came to a culture shock for for me, and now it's at a place where I'm like I'm thrilled. I'm I'm absolutely honored to just sit back and and cheer others on, and then when it's my time to to make a play, it's my time to make a play, you know? Uh, I think that's part of what we all have to grasp in in ways, and I think of it like this. Most people that work with me or work on the farm with me, my my wife says, don't call them boys, the men that work with me. She says boys isn't nice, but I refer to them as the boys all the time. But uh, my brother... um, is very good at like running our tractors, right. loading hay, unloading hay, uh, running the buckets, stuff like that. He's really good at it. And people come and they see us doing things and they see me out there and they say, well, well, you're the boss. Why are you out here with the shovel? And why are you out here doing the outside stuff? And I tell them, I say, because he's better at that than I am. He, he can get that. If I'm standing here shoveling and he's doing that, or if he's loading hay and I'm moving, he can load it so much quicker. What it amounts to is I'm okay being in the lane that I'm in. You know, if that's what God called me to do, I'm okay with that. Because if I know this is what God wants me to do, he'll send me somebody to do this. And I have said this for years. You know, this is a famous statement I make. When I started pastoring, I made my mind up. I was going to surround myself with people that did things better than then I did not have the ability to do. So if I can't lead worship, I'll get me someone that can. If I can't do this, I'll find me someone who can. I'm okay being in my lane, and that's what it's always been for us as servants. We have to understand that, hey, if just because somebody else may do something that we think they do better, it's okay. That's not my lane. God called me to be in this lane, and I'm going to do this instead, you know, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But, you know, I know we've spent 30 minutes on this one. we got to go to generosity. Pastor Robbie, uh, go ahead and, and just talk to us about generosity. And, and we're planning on, I'm going to throw this out there, but we're planning on making these seven elements of discipleship something we build a, a, a group system around yeah. for, for this fall because we feel like there is so much here and so many of you out there that need some of these things in their life. And when I say need, what I want you to understand is it's not we're trying to tell you what you need to do. We want to help you grow. But understanding how to be Bible engaged, understanding how to pray. We want to help with these things. And we can't give you that in a 30-minute section of a podcast. So build on generosity for us. And let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, just as a side note, I'm excited about seeing how that whole process takes shape um, as we as we move there. Uh, I uh, I heard a preacher say one time they was preaching. They said, "Man, that was good. I can't wait to hear what I say next." <laughs> Sometimes they're out here, I, I, you get kind of a glimpse of what's coming, and you're thinking, "Hmm, can't wait to see what happens next." You're out there. Uh, so yeah, our, our seventh dimension of discipleship is generosity. Let's look at Matthew chapter nineteen, verses sixteen to twenty-four. Now, one came and said to him, "Good teacher, what good deed shall I do to have eternal life?" He replied to him, why do you call me good? There's one who is good, but if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Now, I want you to notice in this story, we act like sometimes that Jesus started out with sell everything you own and get it to the poor. Mm-hmm. We, we, we sometimes read this as though that's the beginning of the conversation, but it's not. This is a conversation Jesus is having with a man who is convinced that he is good, as an individual, that he keeps all the commandments and that there is no violation of them anywhere in his heart. So what Jesus really does through this act of absolute genius is he points out to this man where he's actually breaking the commandments internally because there's some things he's really not willing to do, but he believes himself to be a morally upright man. So let's read this. But if you'd enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, by the way, an interesting study sometimes is just look at the commandments Jesus didn't mention. Yeah and see how that corresponds to what this young man was lacking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, 
go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he was, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you that it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Can I ask a question right quick yep. while we're here? Is Jesus not acknowledging the fact that the rich young ruler, everything he said is right almost when he says to 100%. him, if you would be perfect, you, I mean, he's acknowledging you are close. You, you are this close. Jesus offers no rebuke nor argument about the man that that man, the, the fact that that man had kept those commandments. He yeah. To have kept. Yeah. No problem. You're right. You've not committed adultery. You've not killed anybody. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Jesus is affirming that this guy is generally a morally upright individual. Jesus sees something in his heart. I'm just going to tell you right now, if this rich young ruler, and I'm going to say something out, something that, that, may, uh, that may get us nasty uh, emails. I hope not. If you want to send those, send them to Robbie at getlinkchurch.org. I'd love to read your nasty email. I'm convinced that's, if... That's the, Robbie, not Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I am convinced if this rich young ruler came to the average Pentecostal church we would not only not rebuke him, we would parade him up on the platform and celebrate his generosity in front of everybody. Exactly. My, we would tell my, him my, what, my. how glad we were to have him part of the church, and we would tell everybody, here is a man that is a morally upright individual. He's kept the commandments, and not only that, but Pastor Dave, he's wealthy. Imagine how he can help yeah. us. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't say give a donation to my ministry. Jesus said go give it to the poor and come follow me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, sir, I need you and not your money. I need yep. you yeah. minus possessions owning you. Yeah. That's the opposite of the way that a lot of people think these days, right. Right? right? But the nature of generosity, Jesus was not asking him to just be generous to Jesus' ministry. Jesus was asking him to release the hold yeah. that possessions had on him. What's keeping him from being where he wants to be. That's correct. So generosity then is the freedom from captivity to possessions. Mm -hmm. It's not about what I own. That's not it. Jesus realized this man was held captive by his possessions. Mm -hmm. Forced to make a decision between what he owns in Jesus, he would choose what he owns over yeah. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So generosity is where I choose nothing over Christ. Mm -hmm. It means that my possessions don't own me. Christ is my priority I choose nothing over Christ. There is mm -hmm. nothing more important to me than him. Is what it that's right. I mean, if he says, I want your car, then you'll give him your car. If he, <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. that's really what he's saying. Right. Yeah. You, you, can, you, can, you can slap me here, but there was an old song that said, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and too often, that's where we're at as Christians. I'll do anything for, for, Jesus. for, for Jesus, yeah. but I won't do that. that. Yeah. yeah. And oftentimes, I wonder so much, uh, not even possessions, but... What, what is our thing that's keeping us from that level? You know, what is it? Is it a man? Is it a woman? What things? Mm -hmm. are, because as you said, that's in generosity, even with Christ. God, I'm not going to keep anything from you that's keeping me from you. Right. And right. So in that behind that, I want to say this, um, and you, you can answer this. Another thing that we like to throw around, especially in this day and age, culturally wise, is the part where Jesus said, well, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to, to make heaven. We we want to act like Jesus was saying, you got to be broke, poor, and barely getting by. Today. And that's not what he said. Explain to us what he's telling us there. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, again, is the, the issue that Jesus recognized that wealth can be all-consuming keep us from, yeah. so that we're not willing to prioritize Christ. That's right. And this is what it came down to is that the, the, he said that in reference to this man who was not willing That's right. to prioritize Christ. There's nothing that, wrong with us having faith. No, <laughs> but that costs too much. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's a guy that wrote a book, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It, it was, uh, he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for a, for a while. Y'all uh, helped, helped me out. He went he wrote a book in which he really pressed the issue of how much is Jesus worth to you? It is radical. Yes. Yeah. Uh, David Platt. David Platt. There we go. Yeah. 
And this is what David Platt does with some of these passages. Is he said the danger is we try to explain them away when the real question that's being asked is how valuable is Jesus to you? Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. So over and over again, you see in the New Testament that people say, I'm sorry, Jesus, but you're not quite that valuable. So here's, let's break down the, the eye of the needle for a second real quick. And and again, I don't want anybody throwing anything through me through the, their phone or wherever you listen to the podcast. It is a very common thing to explain this passage away as uh, people say, well, in Jerusalem, there's a gate that was called the needle's eye. And the only way that a camel could get through that gate was if it got down on its knees and took all of its luggage off and you got everything off of it. And finally it could crawl through that needle's eye. I'm going to bust somebody's bubble. There is no archaeology from the time of Jesus, okay, that suggests that there was ever a gate there called the needle's eye. Somebody out there, someone is screaming, yes, there is. I read it. When you read that, please, I want you to to take a note of where it's from. I want you to make sure it's based in good archaeology, and I want you to email it to me because I'm going to stop telling people that that it's not there. But I'm just going to tell you at this point, it's not there. It doesn't exist. I even had a Bible college professor tell me it was, but it's not. It's not there. Uh, here's what Jesus actually said. If you read on in the passage, mm-hmm. his disciples asked then, who then can be saved? Exactly. Yeah. And what was Jesus' response? He said, with man, it is impossible. Right. But with God, all things are possible. Right. What is impossible? Jesus is saying, naturally speaking, it's impossible for a person who, 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 who has lots of wealth to be saved. Mm-hmm. It cannot happen. But with God, all things are possible. This is what he's saying. I can transform the heart of any individual so that I can bring them into the kingdom in spite of the things that have held on to them. Yeah, and on. so whatever's holding us, if it's wealth, if it's if it's relationships, whatever that is, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying you can't be saved if you have those things. He's actually saying, you know what? When the things of this world have a hold of you, it is in fact quite impossible for you to get into the kingdom of God. But Jesus is saying, I have the, the, the capability to transform the human yeah. heart so that you become, in this case, you embrace a spirit of generosity uh, and, and you come in. Deuteronomy said like this, God, he said it is the Lord that gives you the power to get wealth so that he might establish his covenant with you. Right, So God's not against wealth and, and increase. He's not against prosperity. He's against those things that are separated from his heart, his will, his intent. I like that. I remember... Um, when we talk about generosity and as you're talking, it's about the fact that um, we give. And so many times I hear people say, well, one of these days when I can afford to, I'm going to do this. And the reality is, is if you right. wait until you can afford it, it's just like people say all the time, well, I'm going to, I'm going to wait till I can afford to have kids. <laughs> You'll be waiting your whole life if you're not careful and giving to God and and Pastor Robbie, you may be able to tell this uh, story, but remember B.H. Clendenin having the conversation with the man about um, when he was broke, he tithed and always had enough, but when he got a massive promotion, God put on his heart uh, to tithe and he couldn't tithe because it was so much more. Explain that to us a little bit there, and tell a little bit more of that story, if you will. B.H. Clendenin was one of my was one of my heroes in the faith. He's with the Lord now, gone on to his reward. But he had a man in the church he pastored in Beaumont, Texas, come and say just that. Pastor, he said, I, I spent years making making minimum wage, could barely make ends meet. But during that time, he said, I I knew God was my answer. I gave ten percent of all that I that I, I made to the Lord, and I trusted Him. He said, "Now God has blessed me. He's given me a six figure income." But he said, "I just do not have enough faith to tithe on that six figure income." Pastor, would you pray for me? B.H. Clendenin, if you'd ever met the man, you'd know that he did exactly this. He said, yes, son, I will. And he reached over and put his hand on that man's shoulder, and he began to pray at the top of his lungs. God, give him back that job making minimum wage. <laughs> Lord, you see that yes. this man could serve you in poverty, but he cannot serve you in prosperity. Lord, greed has taken hold of his heart. And while he was a righteous man in poverty, he's become a greedy man in prosperity. Lord, I'm asking you for the sake of his soul, for the sake of his family, strip him of his six-figure income and give him a minimum wage job so that he can trust you. you. You know, there's so much truth in that. And what people don't realize is this. One person giving $500 a week does not compare to 40 people giving $50 a week. Right. There's no difference. If it's 10%, it's 10%. That's the beautiful thing about God is 
is that if one person makes a million dollars and gives a hundred thousand that year, all God asked for was ten percent. If another person right. makes thirty thousand and gives three grand that year, God asked for ten percent. Who was more obedient? They were the same. They both did exactly what God had asked them to do. And I've said for a long time, and our church is extremely blessed. We 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 outdo the numbers, but it's a long ways from perfection. If everybody in here that come on a weekly basis just did their 10%, that $1.3 million debt we got would be gone in no time because Absolutely. we would be overrun with blessings in God to the point that we'd be able to knock that note down quickly. You know, And that's what people don't understand is, and I mean this, generosity goes more than just what your natural eye meets. When we come in here on Sunday and it's going to be you know, July the 2nd, and it's 104 outside, I promise you the air is going to be set on 66. And guess what? It's going to feel nice in here. But the only reason we can do that is because we have people that are being generous Mm -hmm. and doing what God has asked them to do. That's part of generosity is saying, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to do this. But I promise you, if you wait until God tells you, uh, I'm sorry, if you wait until you feel like you're in position financially to be able to, you'll never get in that position. I mean, it won't happen. Right. I'm, I'm going to add to what you accidentally said there. If you wait for God to tell you that you, that you, need, that you need to tithe, uh, knock, knock, he's already there. He's already said, hey, you need to tithe. Uh, also, let me, while, while we're dispelling rumors, uh, Pastor Robbie, I know you and I have both heard this one. Tithing is an Old Testament concept. That's not true because Jesus did it himself and he's on, in the New Testament. So I believe that would mean that it's a both Testament concept, which means I believe it is something for our current day believers as well. Um, so I, mean, I, I in my own personal life have ran into similar situation to what that gentleman was talking about, about how, hey, when I was, when I was, only making so much and barely getting by. But for me, that's when it was the most difficult to tithe because I was—I I just couldn't see it, okay? Jesus, how are you going to do it? It wasn't until God showed me uh, literally in a spreadsheet that that my faith got, got strengthened strong enough to where, okay, I'll step out and I'll be faithful in my tithing. I literally crunched the numbers with my, with my job and my bills and every month I was going to be about two or three hundred dollars short. And then I went in and I did the same thing. And the only thing I changed was I threw in tithing. And yet somehow the same math, adding in the the expense, so to speak, of tithing, the numbers suddenly added up to where I would have more at the end of the month. How in the world does that work? It, I, I mean, in in the natural mind, it doesn't. Yet somehow God somehow makes it work. Uh, and I don't want anybody, we're not, <laughs> we are as far from prosperity message preachers as you're ever going to meet. Uh, but I do believe obedience brings blessing, whether we want to accept that or not. It, right. it does. If you come into one of our services, you'll hear about uh, 30 to 45 seconds on giving in the entire gathering. Right. If I, you come 10 minutes after <laughs> announcements, you don't even know we take offerings. I sat, I sat there. I sat there. My 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 uh, my kids smirk at me because I sat there each week as, as as Pastor Mike starts to make the announcement. If you'd like to give, you can put the you can put it in the beautiful flower pots in the back. And I've heard him say it so many times. I sit there, starts you know you know parroting with my mouth what he's getting ready to say. Potent. You can text link to four five seven seven seven. You know, um, that's the the and thank God for generous people. But here's the reality: it is. We need individually to get to the reason we call this an, an aspect of discipleship. We need individually to develop a a mindset of generosity, not just because my church needs that, but because I need that, right? And I'm good tell you, for you. <laughs> it, it is right. And I've been on all sides of that. I've been on the giving end, and I've been on the receiving end. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I remember something that stands out in my mind. This let's not even talk tithing. Let's just talk. Meeting an immediate need. When me and my wife were in, uh, when I was in college, and we were living in Springfield, Missouri, um, second year we were married, we lived in a one-bedroom rock cottage on the Central Bible College campus. Um, I was, uh, I remember the next year, I paid taxes on twelve thousand dollars, 
And I remember saying to my wife, we're finally getting ahead in life. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like it's yesterday. Looking back, I'd be like, wow. Um, Think about that now. Man. You know what I mean? No, no, no air conditioning in that place. We finally did manage to afford a window unit or whatever. But we'd got down where we just had no groceries and we were stubborn. We didn't tell anybody, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there was essentially no food in the house. And uh, we were praying. We were calling out to God to provide, to take care of us, you know. And one night, my pastor, Walter Bashir, shows up at my door, and he knocks on the door. And this was not typically. He just drop in. Um, and he says, just like this, and if you know, you know Bashir, so you, you, you can probably hear him saying this. He said, Robbie, I've got a problem. I said, well, what's your problem, Pastor? He said, I've got all these groceries and nothing to do with them, so you'd be doing me a great favor if you could take them off <laughs> my hand. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to set these at your door, and you do whatever you want to with them, all right? I've got no place to put them. And as I live and breathe, he started setting sacks full of mm-hmm. groceries Come on. at the door of my house. I don't know if God told him. I don't know if somebody came and visited me and just saw that I had nothing because I hadn't told a soul. Yeah. But I do know this, on that day, the generosity of my pastor meant that me and my wife got to eat decent food again. My, my. It is not unkind. And I don't think we realize, I mean, and I don't say this, this is again, like you said, it's not boastful. You've eaten with me, several of you have eaten with me. It's not uncommon for me. If I see seven or eight cops sitting at a table, it's not uncommon for me to pick up a ticket and pay for that. Not because of, I want them to know David Willis cares but I do it because I want them to know Link Church cares. Absolutely. Link Church appreciates them. That, hey, not everybody out there. <laughs> see, right. It's not uncommon if I see families sitting there that are, are four or five kids with them. Hey, can we pay for their dinner? Yeah. You know why? Because generosity goes a long ways and because God's been good to our church. and things. So what I'm saying is, is people don't understand that there are times that you are blessing people in your giving into this church and not even knowing you're blessing them because we do so many things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in a minute, as we, once we wrap up this this segment on generosity, I want to take a second and just pull it all together why these seven dimensions of discipleship matter. But but before we do that, uh, Rob, you got any, any, any final thoughts you want to share on generosity here? The only thing I want to add uh, to this, you know, on generosity is uh, Pastor David made a comment talking about how we're we're not a prosperity gospel, and unfortunately, I think that that there's been a a great disservice done to the gospel by people who want to proclaim that it's all about wealth and that it's all about finances. And if and if if you're mad and you want to throw something and hurl emails at us again, that's Robbie at Get Links Church. <laughs> um, I enjoy him. R O B B I E. That's right. <laughs> but uh, but you know my my question is you know if you want to say hey well that's prosperity gospel is there any other kind really do we serve a Jesus who doesn't want us to prosper and I don't mean financially I mean prosper, do good. I mean, (laughs) is that the kind of God that we serve? Yeah, there's no other kind. But if if you're saying we're preaching prosperity gospel in the sense of like we're saying, hey, if you give a little, God's going to give it back. Well, I mean, I'm saying taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the only area in scripture that I know of that God says you can try him on. That's right. I mean, we, we, we believe in press down, shaking together, running over, no doubt about it. But we're not by no means sitting here saying if you sow $100 into our ministry, God's going to give you 10000 back. That's not what we're saying. But what might happen is your tires may go 6,000 miles farther than they should have, and you may get a check in the mail that you didn't expect. I'm just saying God does things like that. Amen. Me. You know, I mean, so I think that's, yeah. that's so true, Rob. That, hap- that happens all the time. Uh, you know, if we sat here talking about instances that we know about of something came out of nowhere, God blessed. I mean, we'd be, we'd be here for another hour easily. And so, but yeah, uh, I don't think we understand how much of the gospel is really wrapped in generosity. So Brother Drake Yamagita at, at church camp, he talked about the entire Bible or the entire gospel summarized in, I think he said it was 17 17 words, something like 25 words. 25 words, I was way off with 17. Uh, And he talked about 
John 3.16. It's the most quoted scripture uh, in all that there is. And we rattle it off so quickly that sometimes we forget some of the important things about it. I'm going to emphasize one word specifically. For God so loved the world that he gave. We get our eyes on, oh, money, because this world is a, is a money-driven money world. But we forget that God showed his love for us in the most beautiful and intimate way that he could because he was willing to give that which was most precious to him. He only had one begotten, and he gave him, not 10% of him, 100% of him. He gave us all so that we would have eternal life. And then sometimes we get our eyes so focused on I mean, how dare he ask me for 10% of my paycheck, not even remembering that, you know, you prayed to get that job in the first place, not even remembering that he brought you here to this place to where once upon a time you were living paycheck to paycheck, but now thanks to the miracle of modern technology, your, your direct deposit to direct deposit, and God brought you there. And I know that there was a joke in that, but at the same time, I'm being dead serious that God has brought us from that point to where we are now. And we get so focused on feeling like we have to. Once again, Pastor David, we need to get our heart right and realize that it's not that we have to. It's that we get to. We get to partner with the kingdom. We get to... You know, there, there's going to be somebody who doesn't understand this, but when they get to heaven one of these days, they're going to meet somebody that they had never met before because they existed on the other side of the planet, and they're going to say, you don't know this, but the money that you gave to this missionary yeah. allowed him to go across the planet Praise God to come to my village in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa and preach to me about a Jesus Christ that I had never heard of before. I mean, we don't understand the impact that giving has. And if we would just grab hold of that, I believe that there wouldn't be so many people arguing and, and debating on, well, what's the importance of, of tithing and giving? It's To me, it's, it's something that if you have to ask that question, you don't understand the heart of what the gospel truly is. That is uh, that is so good, and uh, I'm sitting here. I'm thinking about here's kind of one final aspect of generosity, um, and I want to read Second Corinthians or First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse two, and then share this. Paul said, "Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come." I love this because what the apostle is saying, in essence, is. When I get there, I'm not going to shame or beg or press anybody to give. But he said, so that we don't got to do that, he challenged the Corinthians to each sit down inside their own house, husbands and wives together, in essence, and say, what can we do, right? And he said, I want you to take as God has prospered you on the first day of each week, I want you to lay that in store. I want you to set back according to how God's prospered you and prepare that for that moment when you can when you can give. To, to me, that's, that's pretty powerful advice. Something else that generosity does is it, it releases us to see what we might not otherwise see. You mentioned the chosen, uh, the chosen earlier, Rob. One of the things that they say frequently in the chosen is uh, they use the, the phrase, I see you, right? I see you. And, and so generosity lets me see what I might not see otherwise. It make, it allows me to look away from my own situation, no matter how dire it may be, and see somebody else. And I, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I really felt impressed by the Spirit too. So maybe somebody's listening that needs it for your own self. And I, I hesitate to say it because uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a story about me and my wife. It's about 20 years ago, but I just I feel like maybe somebody else needs this for yourself to say this is a way that I need to take action in my life. In my in my anime's early twenties, we were, we were um, we were desiring children and unable to have children at that time. We'd we'd gone through multiple miscarriages, and during that season, also then uh, we had twin sons that were born who died at at a week and a week and a half of age. 
and, and we were just, we were really broken. And we had been really obsessed, honestly, with wanting to have children. And, and we we're in that place that, I mean, depression was real and those battles were real. Well, it, it rolled around Easter time. And uh, as, as the celebration of the resurrection is coming up, one of the things Anna May just always wanted is she wanted to have a daughter to buy Easter dress for her. Right? That was a that was something she just dreamed of. Well, uh, we didn't have, and we we were childless. We had some friends that had four kids. They were age two, four, six, and eight at that time. And Anna May looked at me one day and she said, "You know," she said, "There that that family they're having a tough time." And she said, uh, "I just suspect they're not going to be able to buy dresses for their kids." And she said, "What if we went and talked to them and just asked them?" if we could bless their family and take them on a shopping trip, uh, you know, to, to buy dresses for their kids. And I said, I think that'd be great. And so we went and we didn't tell them any of our internal thoughts. We did not tell them that uh, we had, you know, they, they knew what we was going through, but we didn't tell them any of that. We just said, hey, we'd like to bless your family. Could we maybe take you guys shopping and buy Easter dresses for your girls this year? Man, they, that was so meaningful to them. But can I tell you who else was meaningful to? It was to my wife. You know, and we went out and we spent we spent an evening shopping with them. We we bought dresses for those kids. It wasn't a lot of money to us at that time in life. It was, but it it wasn't really. But you know what I learned in that moment is that what we needed actually was to get our eyes off of ourselves for a minute and to put them on somebody else. We need to look at this other family and see how we could bless them. And in sowing into their life. Did it fix everything we was feeling? No, but it was a moment of healing also for us that we were able to turn and sow into somebody else. And that brings us to, uh, as, as, as we come to the conclusion, I want to share this and I'll let you guys wrap us up however you need to, but you mentioned that we are looking at reworking even our whole discipleship system around these seven, uh, these seven dimensions. Here's what happens when you do that and when we put people in relationship with each other through yeah. small groups and things like this that are working the seven dimensions. Uh, Bob Woodson, he was a social worker that uh, started the Woodson Foundation that works on empowering communities for transformation. He wrote this, and I love this, in his book, Lessons Up From the Least of These. Men and women who had virtually lost their lives to drugs and alcohol have emerged as responsible employees, spouses, and parents. Fatherless youth who were raised on the streets and were drawn to the lures of gang violence and drug trafficking have become agents of peace and renewal in their communities. If you have the book, by the way, this is on page 93 of our of our book, Link Church in, in 4D. This is a powerful testimony, but does not stop there. Woodson posits that, there's per, that personal resiliency can be released into a community and healthy relationships are intentionally formed. He believes that these uh, grassroots leaders are antibodies. He writes that they are indigenous to the body, to the community. They are the closest to the source of the disease. Therefore, if you strengthen the body's immune system, the body will heal itself and be resistant to future diseases. As we develop ourselves in all seven of these dimensions, we empower those that we're in relationship with also to gain life and to grow as holistic disciples. It's not just going to transform us, it transforms our churches and will transform our communities. That's good. And it's so powerful to think about. If we put all of that together, literally we just are the hands of Christ. That's what we are. Uh, I want to close my part with this, and then Rob will let you pray and get us out of here. Um, Doug Reed, evangelist missionary that uh, we, we work with some and been on some mission trips with. The first mission trip I went on with Brother Doug, he stood up and he said this. He said, until you have served and given to someone who never will have the ability to repay you in life, you can never understand what it's like to feel like Jesus did. Mm. And that stuck with me as we're talking about serving and generosity today. Because imagine the lame man that Jesus healed. There was no way he could ever repay Jesus for what Jesus had just done for him. Uh, the widow woman whose son he raised. There's no way he could do, she could repay Jesus for what he had just done. And so that made a lot of sense to me. Until you have truly served and given to someone, until you've served and been generous to someone that can never in no way repay you, that's what Jesus is like. I'm not doing this in expectation for you to do something in return. I'm doing this because it's who I am. And so that hits me as we close on serving and generosity. One of the best descriptions of it I could give you would be this. Serve 
be generous. And until you do it to someone that in no way can repay you, it's hard to understand who Jesus was. Pastor Rob? Well, we did run a little over today, but that's quite all right because we took a week off. And so we had some some built-up thoughts that we needed to get out. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna show you a service and generosity and and allow you to get out of here. But let's pray together before we do that. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a loving God, that you are a gracious and generous God, that you show us that we are to be about serving people through your service to us, God. You're the God of the universe, the, the King of of all glory. And yet you chose to serve us through your grace and through your kindness. Allow us to extend that to others. God, allow us to show generosity and give of ourselves, not just our finances, but give of everything that we are and everything that we have. Let us give knowledge to the next generation and let us us continue to just pour of ourselves into the kingdom to be used of your glory. We are currency in your hands, Father, to be spent however you desire. Have your will and your way in our lives, and in your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the E5 podcast. Until next time, may he bless you, and may he keep you, and may he give you peace, and have a wonderful week. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.